Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for November 27th, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, As If We Really Did Hope. Amy and I spent the summer of 1990 in Yellowstone National Park. If you have not been, the wonders of Yellowstone's spectacular terrain need to be on your bucket list. And when you go, please, please get off the pavement. If you only take a half mile loop hike, you need to be in the woods just a little bit. You cannot see Yellowstone from the car. Amy and I joined the 100 Mile Hikers Club when we were there, uh, and because it was bear country, my wife, the intrepid adventurer, the wild animal enthusiast, became an expert in bears. She read all about them and she knew what to do to handle bears. You know, you make noise if you see a black bear, you play dead for a grizzly bear. Yeah, right. <laughs> The most important rule about bears when you're trespassing on their territory, however, is simple. Never hike alone. And very most importantly, when you choose your hiking party, you need to make sure that you can outrun at least one of them. Now, you needn't be the fastest in your group, but you do not want to be at the back of the pack if a grizzly bear has caught your scent. Amy knew a few things about bears, and so did William James, who is regarded as the father of modern psychology. While James is not a household name, his brilliance changed the science of the study of the mind. Common sense and traditional wisdom about the brain-body connection said that we run from the bear Despite what the hiking books tell us, we run from the bear because we are afraid of the bear, right? William James thought otherwise, and his insight gave rise to the study of psychology, which was unheard of in the 1880s. But William James' insight says we are afraid of the bear because we run from the bear. You get that? You don't run from the bear because you're afraid. Your brain sees your body running, and in a split second, your brain thinks, I need to be afraid of something. Your body controls your thinking, not vice versa. Your actions control your emotions, not the other way around. Now, while this example of the bear highlights William James' idea in a laughable exaggeration, the basic principle has been tested and proven in hundreds of psychological experiments in the last hundred years. Today, this idea is fundamental for psychological understanding. Richard Wiseman details many of those experiments and elaborates on James's now bedrock theory in his book, The As-If Principle. People who smile a lot are happier people 
Because the act of smiling makes you happy. Smiling makes you happy. Try it sometime. If you are feeling down, force your face into a happy smile and hold it there for 30 seconds. You might feel goofy, but studies have shown that this simple act changes your whole emotional outlook. In the appendix to his book, Wiseman gives 10 ways in which your body instantly changes your brain. And he includes the following examples. I won't give all 10, but all 10 have been empirically verified by scientific testing. The first, in several experiments, researchers have have presented volunteers with tricky problems, and they have measured how long they persevered in solving those problems. People who sat up straight and folded their arms persisted nearly twice as long as other people. So Wiseman says, the evidence suggests to you in your office, you need to make sure that your computer monitor is slightly raised above your eye level, and when the going gets tough, cross your arms. Your brain will listen to your body. Number two, if you're feeling a tad bit guilty about something, try washing your hands or taking a shower. In several experiments, people who carried out an immoral act and then cleaned their hands with an antiseptic wipe reported feeling significantly less guilty than other people. Wash your hands. If you want to come up with a new idea, act in a novel way, he says. Spend some time walking around, but don't just walk down the street. Make sure that your path is curvy and unpredictable. Or if that doesn't get your creative juices flowing, try acting like you're artistic. Draw something, paint something, sculpt something. Even if you're not artistic, the act of being creative will make your brain more creative. Researchers have found that when people nod their heads up and down, when they listen to a discussion, they are more likely to agree with the points being made. When you want to encourage someone to agree with you, subtly nod your head (laughs) as you talk with them. They will reciprocate the movement, and they will find themselves strangely attracted to your way of thinking. (laughs) Last week, last Sunday, was Commitment Sunday. But I need to tell you today that we are a good many pledges and about $150,000 short of our goal. I know that you agree with me that it's past time to turn in your pledge card. And I'm sure that all of you want to give more than the recommended 1% increase so that your staff can get a raise for next year. Don't you agree with me? Please, strangely, yes. Thank you, Jeff. Act as if and your brain will follow. Act as if, and your brain will follow. Our friend Ken Godwin made this point to me years ago when he heard me in some message, a sermon, I think, say that I believe we need to change the way people think 
and that I believe the church has the power to change the way people think by our teaching and our preaching, how we think about God and how we think about the church and how we think about the Bible and how we think about the world. I said we need to change the way people think fundamentally about themselves and about each other because, I said, thinking changes our actions. But Dr. Godwin, who can quote a study to validate every single thing that comes out of his mouth, said to me, Russ, you are just wrong. Behavior changes our thinking, not the other way around. Southern Americans did not change their attitudes about race because of persuasive sermons on equality and compassion. The South only changed because of Brown versus the Board of Education, which forced white students to learn alongside their black counterparts. We changed only because of Loving versus Virginia, which legalized interracial marriage. We changed only because of the Civil Rights Act of 1968, which outlawed discriminatory housing. It appears that when someone forced us to work together, to live together, to study together, but only when we were forced to act as if there were something equal about us, then and only then did we begin to think, maybe there's actually something equal about us. So if you do not understand the implications before us today, of a potential new Supreme Court which might choose any number of social issues on which to turn back the clock, you underestimate the gravity of this moment. Our thinking follows our behavior, and our behavior is nearly always mandated by some authority over us. The ancient Israels learned this truth, the, hard, the ancient Israelites learned this truth the hard way. When they demanded that God give them a king, they had had a prophet and they were doing fine, but the Israelites said, no, we want a king. Well, the authorities we choose will always have the power to shape our behavior and our thinking will follow. We buried my father's sister yesterday in the family graveyard that sits reverently behind the little white clapboard church on the outskirts of the tobacco fields of Dillon County, South Carolina. My hardworking grandparents worked in those fields and they raised their children in that little church. When the church's elderly pastor of nearly 50 years, he's been the pastor almost 50 years, when he stood to speak, the tie that he was wearing announced his theology. The blue and white material embossed in half a dozen stars of David proclaimed, We stand with Israel. Now, I don't, I'm not against Israel, but it wasn't the choice of tie I would pick for a funeral, a Christian funeral. But if you understand this man's fu- uh, uh, a fundamental creed, the tie made perfect sense. And when his son, who is also now the full-time pastor of that church of about 40 people, father and son, full-time pastors, the other son is the pianist, the wife is the organist. (laughs) When the other son stood up to open the service, he quoted Isaiah. And he made it clear that the prophecy of Isaiah announced the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. 
And that this prophetic word gives specific details of the apocalyptic end of the world. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. You see, fundamentalist Christians prefer the interpretation of the new international version of the Bible. In the last days, apocalypse, war, Armageddon, rapture, tribulation, consummation. It's all wrapped up in that phrase, in the last days. And Israel is at the center, hence the blue and white tie with the stars of David. But it's not that easy. It's just never that easy. And the translators of the Bible we use, the New Revised Standard Version, they know that. And they translated these words not in the last days, but in days to come. What days to come? When? In the end? The very end? Or in the days to come in a new election? In a new year? with a new job, when you have a new family, when you start a new chapter in your life, in days to come? And is this prophecy just Israel-centric, predicting and demanding the subordination of all nations to the leadership of Jerusalem? Or is there something even larger at stake, an even greater vision? I think my friends at Little Rock Baptist Church in Little Rock, South Carolina, would do well to pair today's lectionary reading from Isaiah with Matthew and hear Jesus say, but about that day, no one knows. Just keep awake. Just be ready. Just do what you're supposed to do and let the future take care of itself. Live today as if God's kingdom takes precedence over all kingdoms. As if the nations will stream not to Jerusalem or Mecca or Salt Lake City or Haifa to the home of any of the world's religious expressions, but live as if the nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord, in quotes, That is, to the time and the place where justice reigns, and all people know it. Prophecy in the biblical text is not prediction. Rather, it is affirmation of who God is and how the world will be when we act as if we understand. It is interesting that this text is very God-centric. Most of the verbs in the Isaiah text are passive or they speak of God's action. The Lord's house shall be established. Nations shall stream to it. Out of Zion shall go forth instruction. God shall judge between them. But in the most dramatic of the events depicted in this world-altering scene, you And I are squarely put in the center of the action. Human beings are tasked with the difficult work of acting out our hope. The people shall beat their swords into plowshares. You and I are called to beat our spears into pruning hooks. Not God. 
you and I are called to act out our hope. The Hebrew word shalom, it's interesting to note, is never uttered in this text. Peace is never mentioned in this text, though it is often cited as an example of a vision of world peace. So I think it's appropriate that we begin Advent on this day of hope with the text from Isaiah 2, because the text makes clear, and listen carefully here, the text makes clear to me that peace is not the goal of God's kingdom. Peace is just the natural byproduct. When people catch God's vision and put their hands to the difficult work of hoping as if we actually believe peace is possible, peace will come. But the message today is not believe in hope, understand hope, think hopeful thoughts. The message is that our brains learn what our bodies do. So your challenge today is to do hope, to act hope, to practice hope, to live hope. And how will that sound in your life? What sword do you need to beat into a plowshare? One very specific thing you can do, which is the easiest suggestion Amy and I have ever made to you, is this. Turn off your television. Or change the channel. And change the presets on your radio in your car so that you are not barraged daily with angry torrents of rage at, you know, the idiots on the other side of the aisle. You know, those folks that represent half of the entire nation. I don't care which side you sit on. They're half of the people in the nation that represent the other side. Turn off talk radio and your favorite partisan television station. The simple act will make you more hopeful. I can promise you. Or call a friend this week. Someone who sits on the other side of some issue. Maybe someone who wears a different skin tone or whose hijab distinguishes her faith from the cross on your necklace or who, or who wears a kippah and keeps kosher. Talk together about the things you have in common and you pick up the check. If you have not, turn in your pledge card <laughs> as an act of hope I'm not being funny let me remind you that the future of Park Road Baptist Church is not assured now we're not going anywhere in 2017 but if we do not learn to act as if as if and maybe you need to act as if in a hope that will outlive you Wendell Berry talks in a poem about planting sequoias. Maybe there's some of you who need to plant some sequoias with your gifts to this church so that what you have known in this community will be here not just until you die, but will be here for your children and your children's children. Writing a check, making a pledge is a tangible act of hope. Or commit today 
to go with Dan and me in two months when it is our time again to lead at Hope Chapel. Hope Chapel. And be part of the ministry there to homeless men. You need to see the look in their eyes. Hope Chapel ministers by offering hope to the hopeless. Today's text is not a call to some kind of unattainable utopian world peace. The pie in the sky dreaming of wild-eyed prophets and out-of-touch preachers. It is the call of something much more tangible. Grab hold of some trouble in your own life and do not stop pounding until the sound of that conflict has become a harvest you can share. If you want a quality, said William James, if you want hope, act as if you already have it. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.